0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church, from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. You know, from a young age, uh, most of us are taught the importance of of holding it together, kind of keeping ourselves together. Um, We're taught to keep our calm, to keep our cool, to hold it together, to remain stable, to remain composed in the face of difficult situations, adversity, right? Um, When pressures mount at work, hold it together, right? When tensions rise in relationships, again, hold it together. When money's tight, hold it together, figure it out. Whenever a desperate situation or difficulty comes our way, hold it together. Now, we spend most of our, our life trying to hold it together, and I've got to say, um, just to bring some balance to this view, it, it, yeah, it's, it's important. There are times you just got to hold it together, right? Because the alternative is to quit or to give up or to succumb to whatever forces are working against us, to lose our mind, to lose our cool, uh, to lapse in some way that could be dangerous to ourselves and the people around us. So yeah, there are times you got to just hold it together. But there's a problem, because holding it together is only going to get you so far in life, right? Oftentimes holding it together is kind of like using duct tape to fix and make repairs on things around the house. I'm sure we all have a couple of rolls of duct tape in a drawer and tool boxes uh, laying around that we use at different times, right? You can pretty much fix anything with duct tape. You can patch drywall, you can uh, fix holes in tennis shoes, you can hold your furniture together if you really need to. Um, I've seen people make clothing out of duct tape. You can repair vehicles with it. You can use it as flypaper. I was at a gathering recently. I saw somebody using a roll of duct tape as a holder for their beer. Um, (laughs) You name it, you can do it with duct tape. It'll hold anything together, but not very well. That's the problem. So when it comes to holding things together, human effort, our effort, is a lot like duct tape. It's inadequate, it's insufficient, incomplete, insubstantial, ineffectual, and maybe some other words that start with in as well, but that's as far as I got. Um, in, the, in the long run, in the long run, we need more than, than duct tape in our lives. We need Jesus, okay? We need Jesus. So we've been in this series over the last couple of weeks, um, four, four, four sessions, we're in, in part three, today, and we're in uh, Colossians chapter 1, Uh, we're looking specifically at verses 15 through 20, six verses, and these six verses, as you've heard me note before, are probably the most concise, maybe the best explanation we have anywhere in Scripture of who Jesus is and what he does, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and today we're going to look at verse 17 in particular. I want you to see how Jesus holds it together for us. he holds all things together. So Colossians 1, 17. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the one who holds it together. In fact, in Greek, the term synesthemi This word can denote holding together, but it can also mean causing something to endure, allowing something to stand, to stand firm, even bringing about the existence of something and holding that thing in existence. So Jesus, in other words, is the very, he's got our existence in his hands. He's the very source of our existence He holds it together. He sustains you. He's the life support system around you. In other words, Jesus has cosmic significance. He holds it together. He introduces boundless power into our bounded lives. And the thing is, Jesus is more than a temporary or quick fix. He's more than just spiritual duct tape, okay? Our God is not limited in strength or power or knowledge that he would be surprised by anything. He doesn't frantically scramble from activity to activity or crisis to crisis just trying to keep it together, trying to respond the best he can to all of the the garbage that humans throw his way. Jesus is not even a mere step ahead of you. According to Colossians 1.17, he's an eternity ahead of you. He holds it all together. To put it in more concrete terms, he's the building's foundation, okay? Jesus is the keystone in the arch that keeps the building from collapsing. He's the thread that if you were to pull it or remove it, the whole sweater would come apart, Right? He's the gravity that keeps things from spinning out of control. Maybe to put it in, in other terms here, he's the signal in your cell phone, the laces in your shoes, the electrolytes in your Gatorade, metaphorically. I'm not sure how else to put this, but the idea here is if he were to withdraw his goodness or pull back his grace from this world, it would either self-destruct in a spectacular display of cosmic annihilation or maybe simply just blink out of existence. That's what Paul has in mind here when he says that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So I'm painting here with, I guess, a, a pretty big brush stroke, um, but I want to look at, at some detail as well this morning. So there are a couple of things that stand out in Colossians 1:17. Um, And we'll look at this in the broader context of Colossians and Scripture in general. But I want to suggest two things, two ways in which Jesus Christ holds all things together. First of all, and implicit in Colossians 1, is this idea of a kind of general grace that holds the world together. Now, this is the kind of grace of God that Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says that God allows the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, he allows his sun to shine on the wicked and the good. Now, theologians sometimes refer to this kind of grace as common grace, Examples of common grace include basically every unmerited providential act of God's restraint and his goodness and his mercy extended toward sinful, broken, and fallen human beings. Now, because of our fall into radical corruption and decay and death on account of our sin, God, in his justice, he would be within his rights, within his prerogatives, to withdraw his goodness, to let the world self-destruct. Yet... It's his general, sustaining, common grace that allows us to go on living. That's what we see happening here in Colossians 1. It's his general grace and goodness toward his creation that allows us to find enjoyment in life, to experience happiness. In fact, it's this general, sustaining, kind of common grace that we see show up in Genesis chapter 15, where God says that though he is just in in judging the wicked Canaanites, he's going to stay his hand. For 400 years, he allowed the wickedness of the Canaanites to build. He withheld his judgment. That's God's common grace at work, caring for the world. In other words, if it's bad, if it's ugly, if it's false, you can blame humans for it. If it's good, if it's beautiful, if it's true, you can thank God for it. Every time you see a beautiful sunrise, that's God's common grace at work. Every time you sit down to a good meal, every time you laugh with friends, every time you wake up rested, that is God's common grace at work, sustaining, holding the world together. It's not just Christians who get to enjoy good food and who get to laugh with friends and who get to wake up well rested. The perfectly cooked filet, that wonderful, delicious filet mignon tastes just as good to non-Christians as it does to believers, right? That's God's common grace at work. Now, in a few weeks, football season starts up. I'm a huge football fan. I can't wait for football. I cannot wait to watch Evergreen High School varsity football. I can't wait to watch my Minnesota Vikings, I'll even put up with the Broncos if I have to, but I will watch, I'll be watching football, and I'll tell you this, because of God's common grace that holds the world together, my non-Christian neighbors can go to a football game, and they can have a great time, too, because football's a good thing, at least for some of us. I love football. God's common grace at work. In a few weeks, I get to go to a concert. I've been waiting for this, this favorite band of mine to come back to Denver for three years, I'm going to go to this concert and I'm going to have a great time. But because of God's common grace, all those non Christians that will be there as well, they're going to have a great time as well because music is a good thing. It's a grace of God in our lives. So whether you believe in God or not, you're still a beneficiary of the grace of Jesus Christ that sustains this world. Whether you like it or not, Jesus Christ holds. All things together by His power, by His goodness. Now, another way to look at it. Really, just think of it this way. Um, think of times you've benefited from someone else's effort, right? Now, the way my house is situated, we have all these different kind of easements um, with the neighbors to use the, the the driveway. It's one of those typical kind of wonky, uh, evergreen kind of situations. So, um, for me to get out of my, my garage and get to the road, I've got to cross my property, and then my neighbor's property, and then the other neighbor's property, and then back onto my property, and then out to the road. So, what that means is that in the winter, when it snows, if I want to get my car from my garage to the road, I end up having to shovel my driveway, their driveway, and then my driveway again. Now, luckily, I've got four strapping young teenagers who help out as well, so they do a lot of the work, okay? And the, the, the point is, the idea is here, my neighbors benefit from all of this shoveling, okay? They're recipients of that shoveling. It's terrific for them, right? <laughs> but then there are times we benefit, right? And that's kind of how common grace works, just to kind of bring it down to a, a concrete level here, um, benefiting from the unmerited goodness of others. And in the same way, there are things God does in this world that allows all human beings to benefit and to flourish. That's the idea. In him we live and move and have our being, as we read in Acts seventeen twenty-eight. God's common grace. Now, the problem is here... That as good as that common grace is in sustaining the world, a greater grace is needed in sustaining the church, God's people. Now, we might call this kind of grace saving grace, the grace that restores our souls, that holds us fast in the favor of God. So we're not just talking about the the more global or cosmic implications of God holding the world together. God also holds you together, his people, the church, okay? Okay? So we need saving grace, because without it, our sin and its consequences will follow us. Sin will follow us, and sin will tear us apart. Think of it this way. Imagine you walk into your house, and you notice that the floor is is dirty, completely filthy, and so you grab a broom, because you want a clean house, so you start to sweep up the dirt as you go. And every time you turn around, you find more dirt, so you keep sweeping, but Every time you take a step, every time you turn, every time you look, you see more and more dirt. It doesn't get better. In fact, it seems to get worse. Now, it just so happens that the reason your floor never gets clean is because you're wearing boots caked with mud, caked with dirt, right? You're tracking dirt all over the house, and you keep sweeping up the same dirt. Everywhere you step, you leave a footprint. Now, sin works in a similar way. Sin follows us like mud on our boots or dirty clothes or body odor or a pernicious, nausea-inducing halitosis that you just can't get rid of, right? That's how sin is. It sticks to us. So how do we get rid of the mud? How do we get rid of the dirt? Grace. God's Saving grace that sustains his church. So this is the second point I want you to see in this passage. The saving grace of God holds the church together through Jesus Christ. So verse 17 is really kind of leading us into verses 18 through 20 that are going to talk more about this redemption or reconciliation that we have with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we'll spend more time on that next week. But for now, understand that this saving grace is God's work in our lives to restore us. Someone has to get the muddy boots off our feet. Someone has to throw us in the tub and scrub us clean. Somebody's got to give us a breath mint. Someone has to get the sin out. And this is, again, where where Colossians 1.17 leads into these other verses. The following verse is restoration, peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus doesn't just hold the world together in this broader cosmological sense of sustaining his creation. He holds you together. You. He holds you together. And better yet, Jesus doesn't merely hold you together. He puts you back together. Better than before. Think of it this way. Think of it like a work of Japanese kintsugi art. I've got an image we can, we can put up on the screen. Maybe you're familiar with this. You've seen this kind of thing before. Now the idea behind kintsugi art form is you take, you take a bowl or a cup or some kind of object and, and it's broken, and then the pieces, the artist takes the pieces and rejoins them using liquid gold as, as paste to repair the broken pottery. And the repaired cup actually comes out more beautiful, more interesting than the original, okay? Now, there's an entire kind of Eastern philosophy behind this. I'm not going there. That's not the point. Simply take it kind of at face value here. Broken pottery pasted back together by God. So I'm just trying to make the point that we here are broken vessels, right? God puts us back. He puts us back better than before. He heals our wounds, he repairs our broken spirit by his precious blood. He takes the ugly, he takes the sin, and he transforms us by his grace into works of art, into a new creation. Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse 17. You guys have probably heard the verse before. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away, behold, the new has come, a new creation. So no matter who you are, no matter what has broken you, no matter what has fragmented you, no matter what has left you emotionally or spiritually in shards, there's redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ the same Jesus who gives us physical life and breath and everything else, that Jesus can give you eternal spiritual life if we would simply receive him by faith. Jesus sustains us. Sometimes you'll you'll hear me talk about when when we're doing communion, I'll talk about this idea of dual or double imputation. I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. Double imputation The idea is by faith in the work and person of Jesus Christ, our unrighteousness, our unholiness, our unworthiness drains out of us, and the righteousness, the holiness, and the goodness of Jesus is pumped into us. Okay, It's kind of like dialysis of blood. Um, I just grabbed this off the Internet to throw up here on the screen. Um, You've probably seen this kind of thing before. Thought about this before. Um, Dialysis of blood, right? The old going out, the the new being brought in. The old blood is taken out, the toxins are removed, all the stuff that shouldn't be there is taken out, and then it's filtered and cleaned and brought back in to the body, right? That's kind of how it is with the imputation of the righteousness of Jesus. The cross of Jesus is our salvation by which our sin is removed. And the new is brought in, the righteousness of Jesus brought in, dialysis of the soul, you could look at it that way. Christ alone sustains you, Christ alone holds your soul together. See, the the do-it-yourself kind of duct tape repairs for your soul are never going to get the job done. A permanent professional fix is needed. The cross of Jesus Christ is our final and ultimate reparation. Now, some of you have seen marriages come undone. Some of you have seen work fall apart. You've watched your families maybe fall apart. You've seen careers come undone. You've dealt with pain and problems in your life, economic issues. We've witnessed even global or or national economies struggle or fail at different times in history. We've seen neighborhoods and cities and civilizations succumb to chaos. We've all experienced personal loss to some degree. When things fall apart in life, there's one place to go. There's one place to go, and that is the loving and everlasting arms of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Take note of these words from Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. Listen to me. By house of Jacob and remnant of of Israel, what he's saying is my people, my people. Listen, people, my people who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I will carry you you. I have made. I've made you. I will bear. I will bear you. I will carry and save you. That is God's heart for his people. And these verses, I think, corroborate Colossians 1.17. God picks up the broken pieces and he lovingly pastes them back together. So if you want a simple explanation of what this verse means, it's, it's really just this. We worship a very, very big God who loves us very much. He loves us. We worship a big God. Now, to truly apply this passage... Here's the the challenge. You're going to have to do some introspection. You're going to have to do some some work. And your homework is is this, to do some reflecting on those areas of your life where you've maybe settled for the cheap or the easy fix. Ask yourself, where, where is it broken? Where's the leak? Okay? Where is the unraveling happening in my life, in my marriage, in the home, in... My work, wherever? Where's the leak? In what areas are you doing the work of Sisyphus, pushing that rock up the hill only to have it roll back down again? Where's the problem? Trying to hold it together on your own. In what areas do you need to invite the strength of Jesus Christ into the tumult of life? That's the question. I think the first step in in understanding and receiving the gospel is recognizing you can't save yourself. You are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in those who are disobedient, in the ways of the flesh, dead in our transgressions and sins, but by grace we have been saved by the grace of God. Through faith and this, this, the faith and the grace is a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. It's a gift of God. See, he holds the world together, and we, the church, get to be recipients and participants in that grace. He holds the world together. We're part of that, and we know who holds it. And so we proclaim the one who holds it. We've been shown grace, so let's show some grace. And more importantly, let's point people to the grace giver. Point them to Christ. Let's be recipients of grace so that we can in turn be bearers of grace in this world. Every Sunday, we participate here in Communion. As we transition to this time, again, use this time to reflect where are those areas in your life where you're relying on your own strength? Where are those areas where you need the grace of God to help hold it together? I want to invite you to, to ponder this. If you haven't picked up the communion elements, there are some here in the front. Otherwise, you can, you can pick them up in the back of the sanctuary. Communion is our opportunity as God's people to submit to him, um, to recognize his goodness in our lives, to recognize his grace in our lives. So I want to invite you to, to take this time to reflect. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. Thank you for the sustaining work of Jesus Christ in this world, sustaining our, our existence, giving us good things, but sustaining our souls through the gospel, through His work on the cross. Lord, I pray for this congregation, for myself, for all of us, that today you would show us in our hearts, where are those areas where we are striving? Those areas where we're trying to fix our problems, patching it up with duct tape? Lord did you step in and heal? Would you transform us by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ? In Jesus' name, amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he he took bread and he broke it after giving thanks and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup he said to his disciples, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance.